If you're like most folks Dr. Chris Fusterhausen works with, you're active, you want to take ownership of your health, and you want to age gracefully. The problem is there is so much conflicting information out there about health and wellness, it's tough to know who to trust. Most providers are limited by what insurance will approve, so it can seem like they're only able to help you manage your health decline with more meds. On the Dr. Chris Life Podcast, you'll learn how you can regain your confidence in your health journey. You'll learn helpful knowledge about programs, supplements, peptides, and hormones that Dr. Chris has used with thousands of patients just like you to help them crush their goals and be their best selves. So if you're ready to take charge of your health and are wanting to stay active and healthy so you can be a better parent, partner, or lover, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Dr. Chris podcast. All right, Dr. Chris, welcome back to your podcast, the Dr. Chris.life podcast. How are you? I'm great today, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. So I was jealous you've been in uh, you've been in the Virgin Islands. Is that where you've been? Yeah, we just did eight days in the Virgin Islands and uh, got back a couple of days ago trying to reacclimate to the real world again. Mm-hmm. Which actually was funny when we were coming in on the boat, our, our captain pointed out like there's the real world uh, house, like where they film the MTV show Real World. That was like a blast from my college days. It was like, oh, OK, that still exists. OK. So anyway, just a fun little fact of uh, the Virgin Islands, the real world house is there. Of course, there's probably like 12 different versions of it now. So, you know, when you're out there relaxing enjoying life, trying to spend time and disconnect with your family. You, uh, you had a nagging, you had this nagging thing that wanted, you wanted to check in on your business while you're gone. Yeah, I, I I really struggle and I'm trying to do better with it on completely disconnecting. I, I think, I think it's a common thread that a lot of us have is the completely disconnecting. You know, it's a, it's a habit. Our, our, our cell phones, our, our emails, our computers, uh, you know, our, our, our body, our mind wants to go towards it. And I think it's a special talent who, who actually can completely disconnect from those things psychologically. I mean, it has us. And so, you know, I, I, the, the good news, I guess, for me is I have a wife who constantly says, what are you doing? And so then it makes me realize like, oh yeah, I guess I am uh, going right back to the laptop or whatever. And, and so I don't think I did horribly, but I could have done better. That's for sure. Well, the folks that listen to this, they're, they're providers themselves and they have a practice and they're, they're in that practice and it really pulls at you. And, and I think one of the stories that I really like, one of your your story that really impressed me is that there's this point in this practice where you kind of wake up and you realize this thing is sucking more of your life out of you than you you originally wanted or desired. It's impacting your family life. It's impacting your 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 health. And and the, this brought you to a point where you knew that you had to make a change. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes what we kind of say is that you don't really, when you have your own traditional practice, you don't really work 
for yourself or your customers. You really work for the insurance companies, in my opinion. Uh, you know, ultimately, what you can do for your patients is dictated by those insurance companies. They put enough hurdles and barriers in place that basically you're going to end up doing it their way by prior authorizations and peer-to-peer reviews, which is where you actually have to set an appointment to talk to their doctor on the phone to, to get Steve's MRI approved. And, you know, there becomes a point in your practice, whether we want to admit it or not, we finally just kind of give up on those things and or at least limit the amount that you do because you simply can't do them all. Um, you know, I would see patients anywhere from eight to, you know, our, our schedule went to five. We would typically wrap up with the last patient, 515, 520, 530, something like that, because we we're always running behind, of course. And then you started the paperwork. Um, if you were lucky, you got a little bit of time at lunch to do some of the paperwork, you know, and then you would get done at five, let's just say 515 and, and for another 45 minutes to an hour work on paperwork and you know, I, I live about 20, 30 minutes from the from the office. Even today, I still practice just a mile away from where I used to practice. Get home at 6.30, 6.45, and you're just exhausted. Um, you know, you're, you're not, not physically exhausted, just mentally exhausted from everything that you went through uh, that day. And I, I found as time went on, not only was my physical health suffering, but my mental health was suffering as well. You know, I just would come home crabby and and irritated and just didn't really want to talk to anybody and found myself with young kids and wasn't being quite the dad that I thought I should be. Um, and, and it's, but really what it was is just, you know, feeling like I could do a little bit of a better job for my patients than I was doing, you know, because the traditional doc, as you've heard me say, with an established patient has somewhere in that 10 to 15 minute range to take care of that patient. And I worked in a very uh, high complexity clinic. It was the county clinic. So what we mean by high complexity is just a lot of medical problems. I didn't see many people that I'm 45 and I have high blood pressure and that's it, you know, and my blood pressure is great and I just need a refill. I mean, we saw those during the day, like, oh, Jesus, we got one good one. All right, good. You know, and uh, knock those out real quick and go to the next one, which we had diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart attacks, and took 12 to 15 medications, no exaggeration. Um, and that's just kind of what you saw patient after patient. And so I just came to the reality at, at, at some point that I didn't think I could do that for the rest of my life. I, I really could see myself completely either doing something besides medicine, or I had to make some sort of switch. And obviously I had too much invested in my medical uh, degree to just give up on it at uh, early forties. That would have been not a very smart decision. So that's when our change started to occur. Well, how did that make you feel? Were you like um, discouraged that this, this journey of becoming a doctor. And, you know, I don't know how many years you had invested in that, but here you found yourself later. This wasn't exactly what you had envisioned. Well, you know, uh, how much doctors have invested is typically at a minimum 11 years. And that's four years of college, four years of medical school, and a minimum of three years of residency. So 11 years, you know, um, and, and I never took a break. So I came out at uh, what was it, about 28 years old and, and, you know, you have a lot of debt and um, you haven't, you know, all your friends have had real jobs for many years and they're a little bit, I, I was actually telling the story the other day, um, 
my longtime banker unfortunately passed away about a month ago. And, and this man, the reason I always followed him is because I came to Weatherford and which is where I'm at. And the first two banks turned me away with a loan. They said I was high risk. <laughs> and I had a, I had accrued all of this uh, uh, credit card debt because in, in residency, you make practically nothing. Um, but yet you work all these hours. And so like a lot of people, you throw it on credit cards to survive. And I'll never forget them. I just walked into his office, introduced myself. So I was a new doctor. He said, how much do you need? I told him and he said, done. And so he was my banker all the way up until he retired about a year ago and unfortunately passed away. But that's my point is, is, you know, you put all these years into it. You have a lot of debt. It takes many doctors. I was very lucky. I got out of my debt very quickly because I was also in the Air Force Reserves, as well as working at the community clinic, which qualified for loan repayment. So I actually got out of debt in like three years, but many providers can take a decade just to get away from their medical school debt that they, and, and now it's so much more expensive than when I went to medical school. Um, so much more expensive. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very uh, disappointing, you know, doctors. And I think this has continued. I haven't researched it in the last few years, but when Obamacare kicked in and, and um, you've probably heard me say Obama, uh, President Obama said doctors should be happy. They're going to get to see more patients, which is a term no physician has ever said unless they're starting their practice. You know, most of the time we're not looking for more patients. We're looking for a little more reimbursement per patient so that we don't have to see so many patients because you just can't provide extremely good quality of care when you have to see patients at such a rapid rate. Mistakes happen. It, it just does. Uh, you know, if, if you have something that you do that normally takes you 30 minutes and you try to do it in 12, there's no way the end product is going to be the same. And it's the same way with uh, providers. Um, and so at that time, physicians were retiring at an incredibly high rate. Uh, doctors that normally maybe would have stuck it out another eight to 10 years were like, you know what, forget it, I'm out. And so uh, there was a tremendous number of providers leaving the profession. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was very disappointed, but at the same time, my own health was starting to, to, uh, not do so well. I, I, as you've heard me say, I looked at my own lab parameters and I was uh, pre-diabetic. I was hypertensive, high, high blood pressure. Uh, my cholesterol was through the roof. Although I thought I exercised correctly, I, I ran like four days a week, uh, three or four miles at a time. Um, and I was very much overweight it was around 35% body fat. I was 200 pounds, 198 pounds, five foot 10, 34% body fat. And I was just like, you know, I don't know about you, but like you think in your mind of the stereotypical doctor. And I think Norman Rockwell comes into the picture and yeah. it's that overweight, doctor with the big red nose with the glasses on the tip of his nose. Um, and actually doctors die at an incredibly young age. Uh, we have the youngest death uh, age of any profession, you know, and why is that? It's because doctors typically don't take care of themselves. But then I had this epiphany. I was like, hang on a sec. I go into rooms and I try to look my patients in the eyes and I try to tell them you're not eating right. You're not exercising right. You're not doing this right and that right. 
well, hell, I can't. I decided I'm surprised no one's ever looked back at me and gone, well, what are you doing? Because it's not working for you either. And that's when I kind of really started to change my mindset of, hang on a second. I cannot possibly be a leader for my patients unless I walk the walk. And it's what we talk about a lot with uh, the, 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 you know, SSRP where I'm faculty is you must walk the walk to talk the talk. And if you don't, your patients, in my opinion, aren't going to have the same level of respect for you. So what are like, you know, as a traditional provider, what are the common options if I'm realizing I'm at a point where I need, I'm at a crossroads. I need to make a change. What are the, tra- just the traditional common options? You know, it depends on your specialty, of course, but I'm going to more, I'm going to really comment more on primary care type providers mm-hmm. because that's what I was or slash am. Um, and, and so um, there's a few different options. You know, one, uh, provide doctors can decide to go work for the insurance company. Basically, you know, like, well, I'm going to go with them. And and that's that doctor you talk to on the peer-to-peer review, you know, on the other side of the line. I always wonder, God, what is that life like? But it's, you know, they sit there and take phone calls. Uh, uh, you can go into research. That would be a, a possibility. You know, you could decide to go that aspect, uh, technology. Uh, most of the time, those aren't the routes that primary care providers are looking for. The med spa became quite popular. And, you know, and that was actually where I started my exit was the med spa, you know, and, and that is a, you know, kind of says it all, but it's a it's a spa that does cosmetic uh, procedures that are cash based. Uh, so that can be quite popular. You know, now I consider myself an age management medicine physician. So I I have a, a, a pure cash practice where we really, uh, there is a huge niche these days. It's, a, it's the fastest growing uh, field of medicine from what I've read. And that is this cash practice because there's a tremendous amount of, of Americans that don't either don't have insurance, health insurance, but most likely don't have very good health insurance. And so I fall into that category. I call it catastrophic health insurance. Mm-hmm. It's there if I need my, you know, I get hit by a bus and I need emergency surgery. I've got it. I'm not going to go bankrupt because of it, but I've got a $10,000 deductible. Uh, so I've, I haven't used it in a decade um, because, you know, it's just there to make sure I don't go broke to keep my uh, premiums at an absolute minimum. So many times that can be the route, but that transition can be quite tricky for a lot of providers. So it's not like this is not for every provider. And I imagine the providers that are listening to this, they're going, you know, this has been on my mind, but to go from a traditional practice to a cash pay practice seems like uh, to, seems like I need some different skills. It's very scary. It's like starting another business with no guarantees. How how do you how did you think through that? What were your some your ups and downs on that? Well, and I don't think I necessarily had it completely well thought out. Um, And so (laughs) that's why I I like to do this kind of stuff, because I like to talk about my own failures, perhaps, because I think I could have done it a much more streamlined approach today than I did uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, You know, we went of the aspect of let's start this cash practice over here on the side with doing cosmetics. At the same time, I went 
got training and worked for Cinegenics part-time, which we've talked about, which is where I got my age management, my original age management medicine training and basically worked through their offices and started to kind of slowly build this practice up. You know, but if you're if you're a provider that's out there and if there, there's so many different ways to do it, the biggest thing that I run into with most providers, and it was completely my scenario, which is no one wants to take a financial step back. Um, you know, that's the scariest thing, especially most providers. I'm not going to say all providers are the primary money earner of the family. OK, I mean, I guess there could be some scenarios where you've got two providers and uh, that could be a different scenario, or maybe you've got just plenty of rev, you know, plenty of money in the 401k, and it's not the primary uh, uh, determining factor. But 99% of the time, the providers I'm talking to are the primary money earners, and taking financial step backs, especially in our times today, is always scary. And as I've told you, there's also kind of that machismo uh, thing that we just don't want to take a step back financially. Mm-hmm even though, you know, we probably know it'll be fine. Um, so if you have a large practice, many times if, if providers have truly just this booming practice, they only need 200 to 300 patients to follow them or stick with them to actually have a viable, of course, viable is what the provider wants to make at the end of the day. I mean, that number is different for every provider. And that's the one thing I always say is, what do you got to make? And then you can kind of work off of those numbers. Um, and that number is vastly different, everyone I talk to. Uh, but, you know, you're really a, a cash pay practice. If you're doing just like a straight concierge medical practice, uh, you know, really a full practice is around 300 uh, patients. Um and, and so that number is not nearly as big as they think, oh, 300, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, 300, uh, 300 people paying cash because the first thing, and this is scary to providers too, is you're probably going to uh, half to two thirds reduce your, your staff. Um, I mean, if you've got 10 people on your staff, you'll easily be able to take it down to four or five people. So your overhead starts to fall tremendously. Uh, smaller spaces. You don't have to have the same footprint uh, to do this type of a model. Um, every dollar you collect goes right into your bank account versus, you know, you you charged $125 to see Steve. It went through Blue Cross Blue Shield. It came back out as $64 because it's a pre-negotiated price. Uh, I'm just giving examples. Um, but, you know, Many times, though, the most common way that is is chosen is to have two practices at the same time. And I was talking to a provider just about a week or two ago, and she was starting that, and and she had started up a med spa, and she was now ready to start trying to ramp up and really start trying the conversion over to cash practice. And so that's probably the least scariest if if like if a doctor can, you know maybe work four days a week in their traditional practice, one day a week in their cash practice. And then as, as that cash practice gets a little busier, they can maybe hire a nurse practitioner or PA to take up some of those hours and then start, you know, working their way over to the cash practice till they have that comfort level that they can jump, uh, you know, over to that cash practice and, and, you know, 
make enough that they can. Or then there's the, I've had one friend that actually did the completely left his cat, his traditional practice and opened his uh, cash practice. And I think he would tell you it's been a struggle, you know, because he started a practice completely from scratch. Um, and that's tough. It can, it can take, I tell docs, it's, you probably need to look at it as 18 to 24 months before you're really starting to make the revenue that you want to make. But you're seeing the trends. You mentioned that. Talk to us some more about that. that there, there's trends that are affirming that this could be potentially a good business decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's more and more doctors every day. If you, it, uh, and you know, actually, one of the things I forgot to say is, is like, if you're going to thinking about making this transition, I think the most important thing is first to get your education. And that's the part I was getting my education, but I, I think it would be important to really go out and, and get that baseline education either through, there's so many different places to do it, like A4M and SSRP and uh, AMMG, just to name a few, um, and, and really figure out what you like. What do you want to do? Find your passion, because that's the one thing I've really learned is you can do way too much. Uh, I think most time these practices really, you can hone in on three, four, five, six things that you really love to do that you do well. Uh, don't be afraid to give those patients to other providers on stuff that you don't necessarily uh, embrace or love. Um, but get that education in advance and really figure it out what it is you like to do. And another bit of advice I give to all the providers, it's really easy to get yourself into some heavy debt. Um, there's a lot of machines and lasers and, and these devices now, God, when I started, they were like 60 to a hundred thousand. Now they're 200 to 400,000. And these reps do an amazing job of making you feel like you're going to be rich by buying these machines. I mean, they, they know everything to do to work us. And we as doctors think we can't be worked, but we absolutely can. And, and um, thankfully, I have a cheap spouse who sometimes walked me off the ledge because I'll, I'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, you know, just be careful. You can find yourself in a million dollars worth of debt from these machines really quick. And that's big payments every month, you know, to have to make. Um, and so just really figuring out what you want to do is really important as well. But yeah, the trend. So what I was going to say is when you go to these meetings like A4M now, there's literally thousands of doctors there. When you go to these conferences these days, you know, I, when I first started this, I felt like I always said, I used to feel like I was a lone ranger and still in my community, I guess I would kind of say I am, but I know that I'm not Really, uh, you know, we're just ahead of the trend. Uh, but nationally, there's so many providers uh, moving over to this model. And even patients are starting to get very, very used or comfortable with this model as well. I mean, used to everybody you mentioned this to is like, what? A cash practice? What is that? You don't really get that anymore. I mean, uh, patients really understand it. They understand the value of it. The ones that don't, we educate them. It's not for everybody. There's certainly patients that come in and say, that's crazy. I would never pay out of pocket. I've got insurance. And I'm saying, that's great. That's fine. You know, that's not for you. No problem. No, no harm, no foul. We can still be friends. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's growing at a very rapid rate. Well, awesome. I think, um, I think this is a good stopping point in this conversation. I, you know, I have a lot of questions around financial hurdles and other things, but I think that's something we ought to talk about on the next um, episode. If 
if I'm a provider and I'm like, I want to talk to someone, are you available to talk? And what does that look like? Yeah, I am. And uh, I talk to providers every week and, and sometimes it's just nothing more than advice, um, you know, and I don't mind having some, you know, uh, short phone calls, 10, 15 minutes and just kind of discuss their situation. And and uh, we don't charge for that just to kind of give them an idea or thoughts or, you know, starting a conversation. And they can do that by uh, they can either go through our website, the research or they can email me directly at Dr. Chris at the research um, Be more than happy to uh, start a conversation with them. All right, Dr. Chris, as always, excellent conversation. You know, um, check out the research clinic. It's a great example of a um, practice that we've been discussing today. And, uh, you know, it helps you get the vision for what maybe you're wanting to do. There's a lot of resources out there. And uh, be sure to visit uh, Dr. Chris.life. That's uh, DR and uh, capital or, well, just a K. That's not CH, but D-R-K-R-I-S dot life. And the research clinic, that's the researchclinic.com. Dr. Chris, any last words? No, I think we've covered enough today. I appreciate your time. All right. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining the Dr. Chris podcast. If you learned something today and you want to connect and get more information, visit our website, www.drkris.life, where you can find more great information or even schedule a time to learn how you can engage with Dr. Chris. Be sure to follow, like, share, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Dr. Chris podcast.